listening to a live broadcast of Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 8th, in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we are taking a look at a reading for the second Sunday after Pentecost, which is this June 14th, in the year of our Lord 2020. The Old Testament reading is from Exodus 19. The epistle is from Romans 5. And the Holy Gospel is from Matthew 9. Now, in the Holy Gospel, we find in verse 10 and following that Jesus calls to him his 12 disciples, and he orders them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? There is a collect, which is a small prayer for the second Sunday after Pentecost, that reads, Almighty eternal God, in the word of your apostles and prophets, you have proclaimed to us your saving will. Grant us faith to believe your promises that we may receive eternal salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, in the Matthew text, there isn't that much about what those promises are, except the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, we find a wonderful description of the promises in the epistle reading from Romans 5, verses 6 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul. Many scholars consider the book of Romans to be the greatest theological book of the New Testament when it comes to understanding the ministry of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the book normally looked at is the book of Isaiah. So, let's take a look at Romans 5, beginning with verse 6. And it starts off with something that you cannot find in any other religion in the world. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I challenge you to find another religion in the world where the God they worship dies for people who are ungodly. In fact, I've been hearing again and again what forgiveness is from the wrong point of view. If you listen to a lot of radio outside of Lutheran theology, you'll often get the impression that religion is to teach you how to stop from sinning so that you are saved. Well, it's impossible for a human being to stop from sinning. God died for the ungodly. I mean, what better example can you have than from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they were doing. Paul continues with verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us 
in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners. Where were the apostles? Except for John at the crucifixion, the rest of them were hiding for fear of the Jews. They were sinners, and yet Christ died for them. Now, what does it mean he died for us? Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, you really need to explain what these words are, especially to children who are learning more about the Christian faith. What does it mean that they are justified by his blood? I'll give a human example. I get a speeding ticket, and I go to court, and the judge says, okay, either two days in jail or a $100 fine. Now, I don't have the money, so what's going to happen to me? I expect that I'll be going to jail for two days. But sitting beside me in court is my father. And I say, Dad, can I borrow $100 from you? Now, what good is that? Will a judge accept my fine by my father's payment? Yes, in that case, he would. Now, if I had been arrested for robbing a bank, my father could not go to jail on my behalf. But the judge will recognize me as being justified no matter who gives him the money. It's in that sense that Jesus paid the price for you. We are justified by his blood, blood shed on our behalf. Therefore, we are saved by him from the wrath of God. What's the wrath of God? That would be the penalty, not just of two days in jail, but an eternity in hell. That's what Christ did for you. So verse 10, and Paul is talking to the Romans, many of them are having a real problem that they are really justified by Christ because they still recognize that they are sinners. So he says in verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now that term reconciliation is often used when two people are angry at each other and they're holding something against the other person. 
And finally, they come to a meeting of the minds, and they are no longer angry. They are reconciled. How did you get reconciled? Through our Lord, that's the word for God, Jesus, that was the name given by Gabriel to Mary, that he would be called Jesus, he saves us, and Christ, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. That's the title of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. No other religion comes even close to this, that someone receives reconciliation through their God. Only Christianity teaches that. That became even more obvious to me during a conversation I had this past week over the phone. It is a woman who has had some real problems in her life, and she feels that not only is she ugly, but she's a terrible sinner, and that God doesn't love her or is reconciled to her. Now, we're going to talk about law and gospel right now. How do you approach such a person? Could you say... Well, if you go to church more often, you'll hear the message of Jesus Christ. And if you attend Bible study more often, maybe you'll feel better about what Jesus has done for you. Do you notice that what I would be saying to her is something she needs to do in order to feel better? Now, that may be true in every other religion in the world. It's not true in Christian faith. What I need to do is find a Bible passage, a Bible passage that really fits her condition. One of the items that CFW Walther talked about in regard to being a good pastor is that you need to know your people. And what he meant by that, you need to know if they are truly sinners in their minds and when they really recognize what Jesus has done for them. You can get fooled a lot of times. You see, some people, they are born with a positive attitude. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. They always seem to be very productive in their life and they feel like they're always at joy. A lot of people will jump to the conclusion, well, that person must be a Christian because of the joy that they have. No, that's not necessarily true. That can just be a personality trait with which they were born. Therefore, just because you have someone in your congregation that's always positive always seems to be a joy, does not mean that they are a Christian. The way you discover that is getting to know them better. Now, in this situation, how do we help this individual? 
who does not feel that God loves them because of all the terrible things happening in their life. You could give a Bible verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now that's a very important Bible verse, but it really doesn't touch their problem because they feel that all the problems they are having in their life, they are due to because they are apart from God. So what are we looking for? We're looking for a proper Bible verse that mirrors their life, that mirrors their experience, but then provides the message of the gospel. I'll tell you one that means a lot to me. It's not even from the New Testament. It's from the Old Testament called the book of Habakkuk. And it's the last verses in that Old Testament book. What you have is Habakkuk talking about how so many things are going wrong in his life. There's no cattle in the stall. The crops aren't growing. And and you could add other things that happen to human beings. Look at Job. He lost his whole family. Many bad things happened to him from a human point of view. But what does Habakkuk say? After listing a number of items where things appear to be going wrong in his life, he then says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God. How can he say that? Because through faith, he learns that God is still keeping his promises, even though it appears that he is not. This often is the situation between a child and parents. A child wants certain things, and a lot of times the parents will say no. Uh, For example, I loved watching television till late at night because they often had horror movies of monsters from Japan, etc. And my parents made me go to bed before the movie was over because I had to go to school the next day. I did not appreciate that. And I wondered, do they really love me? I told them I'll get up. But occasionally when I did stay up late, I found myself going to sleep in class at the school. So I learned that my parents were correct in giving me orders that I did not like. So when we're experiencing something that we feel is inappropriate from God's point of view, We need to remember it is not, because God has promises. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Nothing can happen to us in our life that he will not be there. When we call upon him in the day of trouble, he will be there to save us. Now, how did this horrible sin come into the world? Paul continues in Romans 5, verse 12, to explain this. Just as sin 
came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, what's Paul talking about here? Well, he's referring obviously back to the sin of Adam and Eve. Remember, in the day that you sin, death will be the result. And there was a death. What's death in Genesis? It's separation from God. Jesus even speaks about the ruling scribes and Pharisees as a walking dead because they did not trust him for their salvation. And because all men sinned, therefore death spread to all men, all because of one man who had sinned. Now, that sin occurred before the law was given in the sense of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. But sin is to be counted where there is a law. Now, there, there was a law given to Adam and Eve. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why death came to them. And we see that death immediately when they went and tried to hide from God. They recognized that they had sinned. What did they do? They went and hid from God in a bush, as though God is not omnipresent. He's everywhere. Yet because of that sin, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, what's that talking about? We sin in ways that Adam did not sin. Adam did not commit adultery. There are Christians who do that. It appears that Adam could not be considered as one who murdered someone. That was Cain. And yet, even though our sin is different, death reigned from Adam through Moses. That's the curse of sin. It's interesting to note that Christianity is best understood as the religion of gift, and not just any gift that you may pay for, but the free gift. In fact, at the end of the Gospel according to St. Matthew for this coming Sunday, Matthew 9, Jesus says, verse 8 of chapter 10, he's talking to his disciples, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. 
You see, there were a lot of false prophets in Jesus' day who charged for helping people out. We don't charge. Now, as a pastor, I get paid. But when I go, say, to the home of a shut-in and give them the Lord's Supper, I don't begin the service by saying, now, this will cost you $10 because we're about to give you the body and blood of Christ. No, it is freely yours. And also, when we counsel those who feel that God doesn't love them, no, it is a free gift we give to them. In fact, verse 15 of Romans 5 explains that even more. The free gift is not like the trespass. What does that mean? Well, when you trespass, when you sin, you merit a punishment. But when you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, you do not merit that by your works. It is a free gift given you by God. And that's why we say, and the Reformation is all about this, that we're saved by grace through faith on account of Jesus Christ. Listen to those words carefully. Grace is God's undeserved love towards you that he gives you not because you merit salvation, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. In that way, the gift of salvation is not something you merit. And yet you hear this in many sermons. The sermons are saying, do you want to be right with God? In fact, do more good works. In fact, there's a, a pastor, well-known pastor, who teaches this nonsense. He says, the reason you are not getting blessings in your life is because you are not doing sufficient good works. Can you imagine telling that to your children? Uh, the reason we, your parents, don't love you as much as we would want to is because you're not obedient enough. You, you know what that's going to do to such a child. It can create suicidal thoughts if they are with a parent that has that kind of a notion. The free gift is not like the trespass. You don't merit it. You don't earn it. Verse 15 which is the conclusion of Romans 5 for this Sunday, continues. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You know, it's very difficult to know who is a Christian and who is not. And the reason for that, there is often not that much difference in the life of a Christian than that of an unbeliever. Christians 
they murder, not only by thought and by word, but also by deed. They steal. They do all kinds of things that are inappropriate. And yet, God comes to us as sinners and forgives our sin while we are still sinners, while we continue to be sinners. You hear that in every worship service where the absolution is given. And what's the absolution? Going back to the court case where I had gone over the speed limit, couldn't pay the fine, but my father was able to pay the fine. The judge looked at me, and he absolved me from having to go to jail. He said, Tom Baker, you are free to go because the penalty has been paid. What a wonderful, wonderful passage. Romans 5, 6 to 15, as an explanation of what Jesus Christ has done for you. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at an appropriate hymn talking about what Romans 5 has to say. I'm Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel. God bless. Good morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.